The following episode of Critical Weave Theory has some spoilers for Full Metal Alchemist Brotherhood and some mild discussion of fascism. Other than that, I hope you enjoy our guests and I hope you enjoy the episode. Um, so I guess we can get to Miles, who is the Ishvalan that you might have forgotten existed. We meet him like fairly late into the series, I'd say around halfway. Um, and he is another Ishvalan, except he is um, a soldier in the Amestran military. And um, his goal, which I guess we'll talk about later, um, his goal is to change the opinions of Amestrians slash like the state of Amestris towards Ishvalans to be like more positive towards them. So Miles is Vosh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Um, so, mm-hmm. I, uh-huh. like I feel. <laughs> all right. All right, 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 all right. That is a reference to something, but because of the nature of language, I don't even know what I'm referencing. Do you think the person who first invented the word tree was speaking to some deeper meaning or referencing some ancient concept they were not yet aware of? I think they just needed a useful sound to describe tree. Right, but a lot of sounds are made to replicate, like, what they're supposed to represent, right? Sure. Um, welcome back to Semiotics Corner, the only <laughs> podcast where we talk about uh, nothing but semiotics and symbology for a whole hour. Um, I'm Rockova. Nice to meet you. This is Mobla. Hello, hello. Uh. Um... Hi. <laughs> um, sorry, I was like really confused. I, I did not know if that was like actually like an intro that you'd planned out or if you were just saying random things. Sorry. I always I always make things up every single time. We're like we're doing we're doing improv here. <laughs> okay, okay, because it sounded like partly planned and like partly not, and I was okay. Sorry. Yes. Um. Hi. Um. I guess. And this time. That intro was a lie, and you know what else was a lie? The way FMA Brotherhood talks about the Ishvalan genocide. Wow, what a great leader. Should probably let our guest say her name. <laughs> <laughs> See, it's not planned. Okay, lovely. All right. Hey, Sri. Uh, Sri is amazing. She's wonderful. Talk about yourself. Dear God. Um, hi, I am Shri. I use she, her pronouns. Um, I am a very tired grad student in healthcare um, um, who's kind of, I guess, into anime. And I like talking about my opinions. Um, haven't really done anything like this before. Um, so hopefully I won't embarrass myself too much. But I am excited to talk about one of my favorite animes of all time. Um, you know, it was I watched it when I was like 15. It was like the most magical summer of my life. I guess in terms of storytelling, I just like was like, wow, I want to like, I want to write stuff like this or I want to tell stories like this. And um, but yeah, um, and it's apparently fairly popular. Um, It is the wonderful Full Metal Alchemist Brotherhood. Um, And I'm excited to to talk about why it sucks in a lot of ways. Yeah, um, nothing, no greater feeling than riffing on something you love. Um, Unlike every other person on uh, the planet, I have not seen Full Metal Alchemist Brotherhood because I'm too busy watching more important things like The Rising of the Shield Hero and The Rising (laughs) of the Shield Hero Season (laughs) 2. 
listen, there are plenty of people who can tell you what happened in Full Metal Alchemist Brotherhood, but not many people who can tell you in vivid detail exactly what happened in the Rising of the Shield Hero. <laughs> That's <laughs> Is that a compliment? No, not really. Anyway, uh, I was about to say. So, the downside of uh, talking about Full Metal Alchemist Brotherhood is that it is... Uh, checks notes 64 episodes long um which is way too long to reasonably summarize in any concise manner on the upside it's the most popular anime on mal at least until the fascist anime gains popularity and traction the goddamn fascism anime oh <laughs> yes sorry continue no, nothing to apologize for that's an appropriate response <laughs> to the fascist anime in case in case you ever wondered what the critical weeb theory stands on uh whether or not uh, attack on titan is fascist or not was in question uh please remember that Vosh made a video defending it so that means we're contractually obligated to oppose it <laughs> and for that reason alone not just because it is fascist but also because Vosh thinks it isn't fascist and he has to be wrong <laughs> i want to make one of those um those fake like wikipedia uh table of contents where it's like Critical weed theory, party lion, anti-Voshism. <laughs> Uphold Marxist-Leninist anti-Voshism. Oh wait, no, most an anarchist. Uh, <laughs> that that meme doesn't work anymore. That doesn't. Well, well, technically it would be Marxist-Leninist Maoist anti-Voshism. It works somewhat. <laughs> it was funny. <laughs> MLMAV. <laughs> anyway. Anyway. I was about to say, the upside is, even if our description is super shitty, uh, it's fine, because most of you have actually probably already <laughs> seen it. Let's start with a basic premise. In the world of Full Metal Alchemist, everything works upon this idea of alchemy. There are alchemists who can do the alchemy thing. Ooh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Ooh. Ah. <laughs> I'm turning metal into more metal. Yes, but it's in a different shape now. It's cool. <laughs> yes. And it is also supposedly very scientific. Um, it has laws, apparently, which is interesting. It's still pretty magical, I think. I mean, yeah, it's, it's still very magical. But, but they, they take it as a science, so. It's scientific in the same way that, you know, particle physics is scientific. I'm sure there's an explanation somewhere, but I don't get it. <laughs> <laughs> That's actually a really good comparison. One thing is that in Full Metal Alchemist Brotherhood, there's this state. I think it's heavily. I think we come to understand that it is effectively a fascist. I don't want to say theocracy, but it kind of is a theocracy, just because the antagonist ends up sort of forming a cult around himself. This is a long series. There's a lot going on, and so they're very state alchemists, and they do things like you know wars. And one of the major background events that happened before the beginning of this series was uh, the annexation and brutal colonization of a neighboring territory of Ishval. Um, Sri, if you want to go into explaining what that is and what's going on there. Yeah, so essentially, um, the nation, again, um, is, is called Ishval. Um, it was... Um, so we, we kind of get a sense from the series that Obviously, because, you know, of the annexation, um, we, there's, like, pretty tense relationships between Ishval um, and the rest of Amestris. And um, so we know that 
that there have been, you know, you know, like riots and like protests and general things. Um, but there, it was generally quote unquote peaceful. Um, and then we start with one of the, I guess, one of the biggest events of the series, um, which we, I mean, in the, in the anime, we, we kind of get, we had one episode kind of centered around it. In the, in the manga, we get an entire volume, which I think was better in some ways. Um, they cut a lot out. Um, but we, so we, essentially, um, an event happens where an Amestrian soldier, um, and Amestrian is kind of the main nation where our protagonists are from. So yeah, an Amestrian soldier shoots an Ishvalan child. And I won't, I won't touch on this too much, but it's, we kind of learn that the soldier is actually this like shape-shifting monster thing um, called a homunculus, who does it on purpose for a bunch of um, kind of like, you know, reasons that are revealed a little bit later on. Um, but, but this kind of triggers um, a, like a giant riots and protests and eventually kind of like an all-out war. And we kind of learn that the Ishvalans are generally holding their own in this war, and it extends out for seven years um, until the leader of Amestris, um, called he's called Fuhrer King Bradley, um, who's also a homunculus, by the way, which we learn later, calls in order to deploy these special members of the military uh, called state alchemists. And the state alchemists are basically really giant weapons, like huge, huge weapons. So the state alchemists are not people. They're like tanks. Well, no, they're, they're people. Okay. They're like alchemists. <laughs> but they're people who can do tanks. They're like, imagine if we had a wizard who could shoot fireballs <laughs> in the modern day. Okay, mm-hmm. yeah, that would that'd be useful for war. In a sense, state optimists are at once not weapons. They're also reduced to weapons by the state mm-hmm. as mm-hmm. means of perpetuating... Ho- like, that's, that's, a, that's just a part of Full Metal Alchemist Brotherhood. Okay. Mm-hmm talking about the ways in which state uses technological and scientific advances as a means of propagating its own interests. But yes. that's not what we're here to discuss <laughs> right now, except it kind of is. <laughs> um, yeah, so you have these state alchemists, and they can do a bunch of different things, right? They, they have to basically pass an exam, and they have a research obligations and stuff they have to fulfill to keep their license, essentially. And so we have a bunch of different kinds, one of whom we'll talk about a little bit later, his name is Roy Mustang. Um, he's kind of known as the hero of Ishval um, because he had one of the highest body counts um, in the war. And he, especially um, against civilians, like people who weren't generally, you know, involved in the actual fighting. I think we see it in the anime, but in the manga, he officially ends the war by killing the last Ishvalan, um, who's surrendering before him and stuff, but he, you know, does it anyway. And I'll I'll get to this a little bit later, but Roy Mustang is technically someone we're supposed to see as a hero in some ways, um, because he's so guilty about what he did. Yeah, he's definitely a hashtag protagonist. (laughs) Yeah, um, we're supposed to feel bad for him because he feels really bad. Mm -hmm. He's trying so hard. Yes, poor baby. Poor baby war criminal. Did all of the innocent people you murdered hurt your conscience? (laughs) Yeah. Um, so yeah, so he's kind of the big one. Um, but then there obviously there were other um, state alchemists, and essentially well, they were responsible for ending the war in kind of an official capacity. So uh, in the aftermath of this, Ishval is basically left as like a shell, um, super like in ruins, completely destroyed. And the remaining um, Ishvalans uh, that are that are left um, and alive kind of 
are sort of separate in, into like, you know, like slums and areas wherever they can basically set up um, around a mistress. It, it seems rather like relevant to a lot of various uh, political issues. And it's important to note, uh, before we start pointing out all of the things Full Metal Alchemist Brotherhood does wrong, it at least acknowledges that that was actually really bad and mm-hmm. a horrific war crime and it should not have happened. Now, the way it handles the people who committed that war crime is perhaps something that needs <laughs> condemnation. For example, Mustang gets mm-hmm. to get away with having done the war crime without mm-hmm. actually making any sort of amends to the Ishvalan people. Yeah. He just feels guilty about it, and Full Metal Alchemist Brotherhood acts like that's okay. Mm-hmm. I see, I see. But at least it does acknowledge that they did, in fact, do a war crime, and it was definitely not okay for them to have done that. Yeah. To credit where credit is due. Are we going to hint at our upcoming Code Geass shitting fest? <laughs> listen, listen, okay, so... We need to figure out what we're doing for that, but a part of me just wants to, like, get everyone who was ever on, like, a Critical Weave Theory episode to, like, contribute at least one Code Geass hot take. <laughs> That'd be amazing. Bonus points, if you've never seen Code Geass, it's fine. Oh, uh, yeah, it's, it's better that way. <laughs> That's me about most shows. Yeah, I haven't, but... Or at least I did a really long time ago and don't remember anything, so... To- get back on topic real quick before we digress completely uh, because i know we will because there are so many great conversations to have in addition to just mustang and the other state alchemists who form the core of our guilty protagonists and the fiora who forms our uh main antagonist there are also two other main ishvalan characters in full metal alchemist brotherhood mm-hmm. and if you've seen full metal alchemist brotherhood you might be like wait I thought there was only one because you've forgotten the other one. <laughs> oh my gosh. So let's start with the one everyone remembers. It's called Itzgar. Um, he's he's a monk whose brother and family were killed by state alchemists, whose ro- role in the story is to first kill state alchemists and then band together with the protagonist to kill the homunculi slash father because he sees the state alchemists as participants in the system that destroyed his entire civilization that that seems reasonable <laughs> right it does sound reasonable right wait wait no is he is he as an antagonist no are, are we doing the anime thing again or like the, they make the antagonist the wrong person well in the beginning he okay well, it's complicated yeah um and i also want to clarify real quick that uh, what i just said i'm reading off of mm-hmm. sri's description and her outline because it's a good outline and a good description and credit Thanks. where credit is due. Anyway, carry on. <laughs> yes, so Scar, um, who I love with my entire soul and who deserved so much better and I will never stop being angry about it. Mm-hmm. He's a sweet boy who did nothing wrong. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, you know, it, it's it's really funny because like, I say that and like I've had gotten into like very reasonable arguments with friends who think that maybe he did a little bit wrong, but... Um, but yeah, so, so to, to kind of expand on that, um, so in the beginning, he is kind of set up as an antagonist. He goes around basically targeting state alchemists, um, so they're, who, that are set up in, you know, different parts of the mistress, um, and he's sort of introduced as this, like, serial killer, and in the beginning, nobody knows why he's targeting state alchemists, until, uh, I think it's in episode five, now we get this, you know, 
giant reveal where, you know, he's actually, he's revealed to be a Shvalin. Um, and so the protagonist, Edward Elric, despite not being, you know, actively like part of the war, because he's like 15 or something now, he's targeted by Scar. And he's, again, like very clearly set up as, as that antagonist. Um, later on, though, um, he ends up as this kind of greater conspiracy um, is unveiled, where it's revealed, and I have mixed feelings about this, but I don't know if we'll get to this, um, where it's revealed that Ishval was actually like a setup, um, not act, not just done by a mistress, but it's kind of like revealed that it was these, you know, homunculi monster people and this like omniscient godlike figure named Father um, who set up this war in the first place t- for this giant like greater like magical scheme to gain more power kind of thing um so he ends so scar ends up teaming up with the protagonists and sort of going undergoing this transformation that the series says is you know good because now he's at peace and he's like doing things the proper way instead of you know like quote-unquote getting revenge um so i guess we can get to miles who is the ishvalan that you might have forgotten existed we meet him like fairly late into the series i'd say around halfway um, and he is another Ishvalan, except he is um, a soldier in the Amestran military. And um, his goal, which I guess we'll talk about later, um, his goal is to change the opinions of Amestrians slash like the state of Amestris towards Ishvalans to be like more positive towards them. So Miles is Vosh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. Um, so... Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. I, like, I feel... I feel like so so it's really interesting, right? Because as we understand, the point of the entire attack on Ishval was not because Amestrians disliked Ishvalans, it was a blatant power grab in which the state was like, We want your resources. In this case the resources were human lives, so we will forcibly take them. But here we have uh Mr. Miles going, nah, like we gotta we gotta make them all friendly. <laughs> it seems like a hard point for like, for like animated get. Um, and I think I'll, I think maybe. Um, yeah, I was just gonna say it, it seems like a hard point where like even if anime like feature like things that are like at least to us like obviously like systemic problems, like a lot of writers can't wrap their head around the fact that it's not just individuals who have personal problems with each other, like. Yeah, I don't know because if your ideology says, for example, like the U.S. invaded Iraq because we personally did not like because Americans personally did not like Iraqis, then I suppose they're going to write the same way. Or even like the more insidious version of uh, the U.S. invaded Iraq and Afghanistan for the sake of liberating Muslim women. Oh yeah, that's that's a take you'll see a lot. Um, now that the U.S. is coming out of Afghanistan. Um, mm-hmm. And this is a thing that for Mel Alchemist, for all of the good it does, it does indulge at least implicitly in that idea through the character of Miles focusing on achieving justice for Ishvalans through working within the system that killed Ishvalans. He's he's a part of the army. He, he, he joined the, the army that killed Ishvalans. But buddy... <laughs> I, I guess we'll maybe get to this later, depending. But, well, so while he's doing this, and I guess there's two points um, that I can bring up now. So this, like, trying to work within the system thing happens while the genocide is actively happening. Um, so, I mean, you can, like, literally sort of see 
that what he's doing is like not effective. This is mentioned more in the manga, not in the uh, anime, but I think it's important context that um, there were other Ishvalans in the Amestrian military. Uh, when the genocide or war or whatever started, they were sent off to camps, essentially, uh, you know, just for being um, Ishvalan and, and being, quote unquote, sort of like under suspicion because of that. So so these so, you know, there were we had we also had a lot of former Ishvalan military members like fleeing, trying to get away from Amestris um, in the first place. Um, Miles was not sent off to um, one of those camps because he's only part Ishvalan uh, on his grandfather's side. So he has, I guess, a different view um, in some ways with regard to his identity and kind of has that privilege of like, of, of being able to have this different and trying to enact it within that system. But it's kind of yikes. Yeah. So uh, now that we have our basic understanding, uh, let's talk a little bit more about what does Scar do? What is his grand plan? His people have been genocided. How is he going to, like, stop that? How is he going to, like, you know, achieve justice? Yeah. And and I guess I can maybe see in some ways how this might be seen as, quote-unquote, like, you know, just very much attributed to revenge, but I think it's perfectly justified in a lot of ways as well. So he specifically targets state alchemists only. Unless he's, like, cornered and trapped, he basically won't really hurt civilians or anything like that. Yeah. He goes against specifically after, and let's let's be clear. Oftentimes, these are military personnel who took glee and joy in the murder of Ishvalan civilians. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I think we have like an interaction with one of um, one of the, I think like four or five that we see in the series who actively were like, oh, you know, I, I, I did took this many lives in the war and I was this amazing at being, I don't know, a war criminal or something. Um, and, um, so yeah, we actively see one of them bragging to Scar, I think, in one of the confrontations. I mean, he's, he's killed by Scar, which, you know, yay. But yeah, like these are, these are like legitimately sort of like Amestris is like weapons of like mass destruction and 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 Scar like takes them out. So I, I personally think anyway that there's more than enough justification for that. So he does try to avoid killing civilians as much as possible, but Scar does end up killing two doctors within the genocide. And we find out that these doctors are the parents of Ed's, or the main, the protagonist's childhood friend's Winry's parents and again this is portrayed as you know wanton murdering and like Scar was just like this like this evil guy who was helping these doctors who were helping not just the the Amestrians out in the field but also Ishvalans who were brought to to their location and the series does not really give any empathy um to Scar in this situation because when Scar does this he is on like a bed um, he's essentially just lost his, this is right after his, uh, entire family has been killed by a state alchemist in front of his eyes. And he's lost an arm. Brother sacrificed himself with his alchemy knowledge to save Scar and, and sacrifice himself. Um, so we see him waking up. He sees two Amestrians in the middle of this, you know, like camp or whatever. He is like, you know, he's suffering from blood, blood loss. He's completely traumatized and he thinks he's under attack. I'm not saying, you know, that, that like what he did was like, morally correct or whatever but it's like very understandable that he lashed out um and and essentially went on the defense especially given like what he's just witnessed the series does not really like 
give any like you know compassion or empathy to what to what scar was was feeling in that situation um it's just straight up as depicted as you did this out of revenge you know how dare you do this you know this was this was senseless murder kind of thing the thing that really sticks out to me about the way that specific scene for scar is framed is it feels almost like it is a way of meta-narratively not necessarily diegetically but from a meta-narrative perspective of delegitimizing his actions because until then we are told that scar does not kill civilians and so until that point you can sort of like basically argue pretty effectively that hey scar was definitely in the right so then you know when it turns out that oh no 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 no, it's fine he's actually bad he's actually bad he killed some doctors okay and he didn't just kill any doctors, he killed the doctors of our protagonist's girlfriend, right? Right, he's bad, trust us. And so that's how I feel about that scene from a meta-narrative perspective. And again, it was the author's choice to include that scene, and it was the author's choice to frame him, like, as we see, uh, frame his quest as blind revenge and reactionary genocide, as opposed to, like, you know, hey, maybe uh, taking out the apparatus by which the state wages war is, like, not an unreasonable course of action, complicated by the fact that in this case, these are not simply weapons, but people. <laughs> There's a lot going on here. The show does not do it. <laughs> not interested in having those questions. Yes. All right. Um, and then I think... In relation to Scar, I think it's also important to bring up how the show depicts other Ishwalans who are who are survivors of this war and who have kind of set up. Here's a lot of the the trends in, I think for us anime, <laughs> but like mm-hmm. movies too, just in general of like the number of things that are really, really, really concerned about like the wrong way to fight for justice and less concerned with you know actually fighting for justice right you'll get like a lot of shows a a lot of stories that are all like um somebody's fighting for justice but they let anger consume them you know they took things too far (laughs) it swung back in the other direction and it's funny how much time we spend like fantasizing about that i'm like that doesn't happen it it doesn't it doesn't happen like like in real life (laughs) like like the it, it we never get to the point where like okay we achieve justice and then we get we have too much justice and it goes the other way like <laughs> no it only see it feels like that to people who like the status quo oh 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 shoot i i remember the thing before we move on from that scene i want to talk about uh the way um because the scene in which we learn this right is a scene in which uh, Scar is confronted by Ed and Bryn- Winry, right? The yes. person whose parents he killed. And she picks up a gun and she points it at him. And then... And then Ed makes a thing about how your hands are for, like... Your hands aren't for killing, because I think he references a baby mm-hmm. she delivered earlier in the show. Mm-hmm listen there's a lot yes the response to that is like she like puts down the gun after being talked out of it by ed because he says yeah this is a thing (laughs) but you know the pursuit of revenge has to end somewhere we can't continue the cycle of vengeance forever and this is actually the point that marks the change of scar from antagonist to hero and it's really interesting 
to think about the ways in which Scar dealing with the trauma of the loss of literally his entire fucking civilization is framed as, you know, eye-for-an-eye eye revenge stuff, right? I don't want to diminish what it's like to lose your parents, but even that's on, like, a different scale than, like, fucking genocide. In that, and in that moment, again, the show is establishing an equivalence and using it to delegitimize the anger of its brown character. Man, 15-year-old me really did not think of this. You know, I went wild over this when I was when I was watching it, I remember. Good times. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so I guess moving on to the point about... So yeah, so how the other Shvalans that are set up around um, Amestris are kind of portrayed in comparison to Scar. So I guess there, there are two scenes that I want to bring up here. So the first is, I think after Scar has tried to go, uh, tried to go after a state alchemist and failed and he's recovering from a bunch of injuries um he's he's kind of resting up in this in this ishvalan slum and you know while he's there there's an elder who's living in that slum and he's this elder essentially lectures scar about being completely consumed by hate um and how his killing isn't the answer and i acknowledge there are uh, nuances to this because the what scar so because these um, Ishvalans are, you know, living in a mistress. They do face these these everyday like oppressions, oppression by like Amestrians that that they live around. So there are there are dangers to them if there's like a particular depiction of them as being especially like dangerous or something. Like they they are very much in danger of being attacked, and they they already basically have very little. Again, it's like another instance of the show from the mouth of like Scar's own people saying, "Oh, you shouldn't be like this angry or this," you know. Um, that this this kind of hate and revenge has to end somewhere and you need to like sort of stop lashing out kind of thing. Which is, again, a nuanced take, but not one that I'm particularly fond of. Oh, yeah, yeah. So, and again, I want to like highlight a very important thing in that even if uh, Roy and the other state al alchemists who make up actually a lot of our deuteragonists and supporting characters are veterans of the Ishval War, and none of them are Ishvalid, um, <laughs> so that's not well, except for Scar, but we are we've been talking about him. Um, and but like they never face accountability for their actions. I want to say that again. They never face accountability for their actions. They feel guilty all the fucking time, right? They feel like total pieces of shit. But if Rancid Girlfriend has taught you anything, <laughs> feeling like a piece. <laughs> That's definitely a point where I, if Rent a Girlfriend has taught you anything, <laughs> famous last words on the Critical We Theory Listen, podcast. Listen, like, like, I, I don't want to group, I hate grouping them together because the level of quality is just completely different. Full Metal Alchemist Brotherhood, however much of, like, problematic ideas we have, and it has, is still, like, a good show. Rent a Girlfriend is garbage. But they still carry the same mm -hmm. idea of feeling guilt mm -hmm is equivalence to repentance mm -hmm. but that's not true right that's not it wasn't true in rent a girlfriend <laughs> and it's and it is definitely also not true here roy and riza and all of the others mm -hmm. like no matter how many flashbacks we see of them going oh no look at all of the suffering oh no look at all of the suffering and like crying while people die makes up for the fact that they were there and they were the ones firing those bullets yes. while they felt sad mm -hmm. about it. And um, yes. at any point they could have like 
not done that. Yeah, and yeah, and then the and yeah, I have like a giant like section about that at the end. Like, um, and yeah, like it's just, and I mean, okay. To be fair, I guess in one scene they do talk about um, in, the, in the episode that talks about the Ishval War. Um, so there, there's this sniper named Riza, and she's sort of describing it. And she does say that her and Mustang's eventual goal is to sort of, you know, stay accountable by being declared war criminals um, after the country has been turned into a democracy. Um, and it's, it's implied that she intends for them to face some kind of, like, really heavy punishment. Um, I think even, like, equivalent to maybe even, like, death based on how Ed reacts. Um, and I guess, and, and, but, and I'll say this later as well, by the end of the series, we don't get what, like, in terms of how the war criminals are, like, treated and, like, how they're essentially, like, heroes still at the very end. We don't get the sense that that's ever actually going to happen. Like, we're not, or at least I personally wasn't convinced by the series that that kind of level of accountability was ever um, going to be a thing. Isn't Roy, like, on track to become the next year at the end of the show? Yeah, and there, yeah, yeah and I, yeah. 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 <laughs> I mean, yeah. he's a, he's a, he's a, he's, like, he's a nice guy who feels bad about his actions, but being a <laughs> nice guy who, like, a genuinely nice guy who feels bad about your actions doesn't excuse war crimes. Oh, my God. Mm-hmm. And it gets worse. It gets way worse when we talk about, like, you know, like, why, and, like, Rago, I think you, you brought this up, too, like, why the hell didn't they defect and, like, leave when they kept, instead of just, like, constantly crying as they, like, I don't know, like, as they, as they enacted these, like, these, like, crimes, and it's just, woof. Um, essentially, like, there's no consequence to defecting, because we, we see, like, um, we have another sort of minor character named Armstrong, and he's a state alchemist, and he does defect, um, uh, like partway through the war, he's sent back to to Central City, which is sort of kind of like the headquarters of you know the uh, government for Amestris. He's sent back, and the only consequence that he faces is that he can't be promoted anymore, which is like n- literally like nothing. Like that is like not even like a, like a slap on the wrist. Like it's like it's just nothing. Yeah, so, like, if Armstrong faces no consequences for defecting, what, what, why don't the rest of them defect? I don't get it. Yes, and that, and, and, I, and actually, like, I think, like, we can kind of read a reason, um, and it's a very insidious reason. Over the course of the series, we see Roy and his best friend Hughes, both of them are in the war, both of them, you know, fought through the entire thing. Um, right after the war is over, and, like, he and, like, the other... I guess, soldiers and stuff are congregated on this field sort of after the war and, like, Fuhrer Bradley is, like, addressing them at some point, probably. Um, you just kind of see him, like, standing over them and, like, being like, oh, this is obviously the antagonist. We see Roy and Hughes have a conversation and it's where, and it's, um, he and Roy is talking about wanting to become the Fuhrer to stop things like this, aka the Ishval War, happening again. Um, and he specifically says that he wants to rise through the ranks and make it to the top. Um, to stop things like happening. So Doof could have defected. Like he and his entire, like all his friends could have defected. But I think like it's, it's basically implied that he partook in this genocide to rise through the ranks and not lose his like rank because defecting could have cost him that. 
um, to become the Fuhrer and, like, stop things like this happening. Which is, what like, goddamn. Well, it's not just a common trope in media. It is a common trope we see happen with quote-unquote progressive politicians in real life. Like, that's <laughs> just a thing that happens in which people justify the abhorrent actions they commit to maintain power mm-hmm. in the I can fix things, but of course you never have enough power to fix things because you are always biding your time to secure power and eventually it ends up being the case that you ended up becoming what you sought to stop. Mm-hmm. And that in in your rationalization you have at a certain point just become the thing. Exactly. The things yeah. you wanted to stop are the things you are now doing and sure, you're justifying it by saying, tomorrow I will become a good person. Tomorrow I will change the world. But what happens once Roy becomes sure? And he's like, well, I've got to stomp down these Ishvalan insurgents. Otherwise, I might lose my title as Fuhrer and be unable to stop future wars. You know, I've got to suppress freedom of speech or otherwise people might start a revolt and then I'll lose my position and then I'll be un- unable to do good in the future. Like... Yeah, it, it cannot be stressed that this is a thing that happens in real life. It is the way a lot of progressive politicians who end up working within the American electoral system, like end up like literally fucking corrupted. And, and again, it just lends like even more like disbelief um, to Reza's point about them, you know, eventually being held accountable. And it, it also makes the ending um, particularly more egregious um, for Roy, particularly because he he basically um, ends up. Uh, he ends up blind um, and like his trajectory near the ending is basically he's promoted to a general and he's supposed to be liaising with um, Scar and Miles to essentially uh, make reparations to Ishval, like restore the Holy Land back to them um, and sort of, you know, again, like in some ways, like like make amends for, for Omestris's part in the war. But we have... Um, we learn throughout the series that um, philosopher stones are these, you know, like magical sort of things that help um, alchemists just become even more powerful with their alchemy, and they're made of human lives, specifically in this case, um, Ishvalan lives. And Roy is like, oh, you know, uh, so I'm going to use, I'm going to allow this philosopher stone to be, uh, you know, used to restore my my sight or whatever, because, you know, this is going to help me achieve my goal of, you know, making amends for these Ishvalans and it's going to be great. And we, you know, like everything is gonna, you know, and then like, I'm going to help them and stuff like that. And it's just like, literally just like in the context of everything else of like what he's done, putting aside, you know, the implications of like the whole like restoring sight thing. Um, it's just like, you just want like your power back and like, like you can't like, unless, and especially like, for for the power that's literally fueled by Ishvalan lives. Like, it just, you just have, like, it's very clear that he has no interest in sort of relinquishing that that power in, you know, quote-unquote, in service of a greater good. And- yeah, 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 yeah. What bits haven't we discussed what yet? What haven't we? I think Miles. Oh, Miles. Let's talk about Miles. So yes, to, to recap super quickly, he's part of Shvalin. He's working within the military with the state to, um, to again, quote unquote, change people's opinions of Ishvalans. So Miles is interesting because he is 
set up directly to contrast Scar in terms of his actions. So again, like Miles doesn't rebel. His like primary purpose is to try to try to change things from within. So with Miles, I think we first off we can start off with kind of his general views. Again, halfway through when he's introduced, he has this interaction with um, Edward, our protagonist. And again, I know like Ed's a kid, he's like 15 or 16, whatever. Um, he's But he's the series moral compass. You know, the narrative largely supports him and his opinions. So Miles essentially reveals to Ed that he is um, Ishvalan, that he identifies very strongly with his Ishvalan heritage. He kind of poses a question to Ed about, oh, you know, you must be wondering why I, you know, why I am like working within the, with the military, given what it has done to my people. Um, and Ed, sweet summer child, no. Um, Ed's response is essentially to say, I think we should put our differences aside and ignore race and and just get along. And again, Ed is the series moral compass. He has repeatedly been called out for other things or by other characters in terms of being naive or just plain wrong. But in this case, he does not receive a rebuke for this at all. Miles essentially was like, oh, I admire that very much. And then he moves along. In, in the manga, it's a little bit different. Like Miles is sort of, you kind of he doesn't say anything, but like sort of in like a panel, you kind of see that he's like uncomfortable and be like, oh, I don't want to explain this again. But the series itself doesn't, in like comparison to other moments um, where Ed is, you know, objectively, according to the series, wrong and has been called out for it, this is like never brought up again. It basically is just let go. The fact that not only is Miles like one of the only other POC, well, he's not one of the only other POC because, um, Ling and the others are also there. But I think this the fact that uh, Miles's ideology is largely, again, this idea of like, do nothing for a long time and then eventually try to change things is I think what ultimately makes him, like, honestly a bit forgettable. I had forgotten that he existed until I read about him in your outline. <laughs> yeah, so, um, so that's a giant yikes moment. And again, it kind of speaks to a lot of his... Um liberal viewpoints um yeah, yeah, yeah. and <laughs> and um so so yeah so we so we kind of get an idea of like his his position there so then when we when miles meets scar um he essentially talks with pride about how he and he was set by an amestrian on his path and he says this very proudly um set by an amestrian on the path to change amestrian's view of ishvalans from the inside and then, and this is super egregious, um, Scar basically openly like admires Miles for his actions. He says something like, oh, I'm glad there are people like you and I wish there were more people, you know, doing what you do kind of thing to achieve that same goal. <laughs> and then he condemns himself for his own actions. Um, uh-huh. So he's basically, he refers to himself as this like festering wound of hatred, which, you know, maybe, and like, I definitely think that Scar deserves to heal and like, you know, like sort of start recovering from that. Yeah, we're not saying that Scar should be tra traumatized, but he's definitely doing way better than Captain, I've accomplished literally nothing in my life. Okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's, um, sorry, no, that's basically it. Yeah, like it's. Obviously, yeah, so like there is that nuance that Scar definitely deserves to, again, like healing and stuff. But that juxtaposition between Miles and Scar's is just so clear here. And again, like works further to delegitimize his like 
his actions and his and his very like legitimate hatred and and um hatred of Amestris and, and and of basically all his viewpoints and it's like obviously like the narrative propping up Miles is correct is like you know like dangerous and pretty like irresponsible um considering what it says about just like how to fight against like oppressive regimes as a whole yeah yeah and another thing that we've talked about a lot is uh, and i feel is again worth reiterating is the narrative doesn't take time to focus on the cognitive dissonance that goes on in order for miles to rise in the ranks of let me remind you the military <laughs> right because he's gotta commit by wait this is what happens with suzaku oh i didn't want to I didn't want to say it. <laughs> I was getting my Suzaku senses were tingling. I was getting a little bit of a, <laughs> of a Suzaku taste in my mouth. You know, I could smell the stink of Suzaku. <laughs> <laughs> no, but it's like that. That fundamental root idea is still mm-hmm. there. That fundamental root idea is still of like, Oh, we're talking about the, how this guy is participating in power structures to gain the power stru- power necessarily to change those power structures, but we're not talking about the atrocities they have to commit to maintain that power. Right. Mm-hmm. That's the that's the that's the key thing. It's the absolutely key thing. The ways in which both Miles and Suzaku must, in order to gain rank in the military, violate their own principles. But these kinds of characters, do they even like they're never they're never even successful, right? Like Suzaku doesn't become ruler, right? I haven't seen R2. I don't uh, think my Oh oh no. Uh, oh no, oh no, oh no. Did I just say, <laughs> Did I just say so? <laughs> oh no. Listen. Oh no, okay, we we will table that. We will table that, but Miles doesn't become ruler. Think of the dumbest fucking shit, <laughs> and then Dumber. I'm not. I'm not even gonna speculate how dumb this guy's. Um, but okay. So Miles, Miles doesn't become ruler, right? No. No, he he. Okay. Yeah. So it's just like, what was, what was it for? You know, what was all the simping for? <laughs> <laughs> What was all the, 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 um, I have meaner words, but like, what was all like the bootlicking, you know, for, for the state? Like, what did that, what did that get you? Um, honestly, like, like, I'm fairly sure textually, like nothing. Um, (laughs) (laughs) like, like he's put on the, the reparations project with Scar at the end of the series, um, but we get next to like no incline, like like indication that anything he did that he stated his goals were were successful by any means. Um, and honestly, like actually, to even further than that, um, I'd say he wasn't like okay. So let's say in that his goals were I don't know like actually worthy in some way. So we have several. Um, so when you know when the climax of the series happens and like all of like the entire country is essentially like going up against these like monsters who are like trying to get God's power or whatever. Um, it's actually the uh, it's like actually other Svalins, um who are like you know again set up around Amestris, um and who work with, again, our, our main heroes and stuff, and, like, coordinate with other, um, like, military, like, like sections all over the country to, like, sort of help 
you know, take out soldiers and stuff who are opposing our main heroes. Like, Miles basically just doesn't do anything. Like, it's like, like, if anyone were to quote-unquote change, like, people's minds or whatever, it's these, these other characters on the fringes, the direct survivors of this war, who basically step up and decide to help these people out in the first place. And it's just, you know, like, just, Miles, what are you doing? Miles, buddy, pal, amigo. <laughs> You're doing good. You haven't even touched yeah. your leftism. <laughs> What's happening? <laughs> we still... <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and so now that we've yeah. talked a bit about Miles and uh, this, the war criminal's redemption quest for justice and the reliance on state to repair relations and fix the harm caused... Uh, there are a lot of quotation marks in this line, by the way. <laughs> there are. I was I was literally about to say that. Um, yeah, uh, redemption is in quotes, justice is in quotes, repair relationships is in quotes. And we started talking about this a little, and I think it does deserve a bit more um, of an exploration. First, of course, as we've mentioned that, again, in order for these war criminals to achieve their ideas of good, they must first commit the harm they seek to prevent. We see this literally as hinted at with Roy Mustang, in which he stays in the military and commits genocide in hope of gaining enough influence to stop committing genocide eventually. And I don't know, man, I think if you do genocide to stop genocide, you've kind of missed the point. But let's talk a bit about, are there any alternatives to what Roy and the others are aiming for? And more importantly, do Roy and the others even succeed in the first place? We're, it's not really clear, um, through the series anyway. We know that at the end, um, Roy, has, Roy and Riza have both been promoted. Um, they still appear to be very closely tied to the military. Um, I think we get like a, I don't know, like a future picture, snapshot, whatever, of them still like being within the ranks or like carrying out like military actions or whatever. Um, I think... Um, it's also important to note that aside from Ishval, a mistress, and part of this is like intentionally set up by the, you know, homunculi, whatever, anyway, but, but I think it still says something about a mistress's political relations. A mistress is still like very much like, like the, it says in the series that they're fighting a wars on basically all their fronts. We don't really get any indication of whether that changes at all after this whole like uprising thing um, and the homunculi are defeated. Um, given that the military, and from what we see in the end anyway, given that the military still seems to be very active um, and yeah, so it's very active and like we don't really get any indication of like, you know, people like retreating from like the borders of the other countries sort of surrounding them. It's still, I think, reasonable to conclude that <laughs> imperialism is still happening and that and that Roy is probably still going to be like enacting this stuff and is probably not going to change in any meaningful way. So Full Metal Alchemist Brotherhood says that the reason Amestris does all of these things is because it was founded by a shitty, greedy, immortal bastard who controls the world from the shadows, right? And not because capitalism and imperialism and the pressures of value extraction naturally resulted those processes and i'm sort of of two minds of how to feel about 
the way Full Metal Alchemist Brotherhood treats its corrupt state overall. Because on one hand, it is a corrupt state. It's unambiguously bad. And at the end, uh, people revolt and rebel against it. But on the other hand, after they revolt and rebel against it, as you just pointed out, everything's still sort of there. And that, all, that confused me when I first watched the show. I was like, wait, didn't we overthrow the government? Why do all of these people still have their military positions? I'm confused. Yeah, and like honestly, if like right, right after like the aftermath of that entire like uprising or what, um, or fight against the homunculi slash father would have been a really good time to like to like actually just like deconstruct everything and like build everything back up in like, I mean, you know, as much of a non-oppressive way as possible. I, I say that in quotes. I don't really, I'm I haven't really thought through exactly what that would look like, um, but like. But they just defaulted back to, like, the military state. And, like, again, like, Ariza explicitly says their goal is to not do that, to eventually turn it into, like, a more, I don't know, supposedly, like, democratic state or whatever. But they just, they had a good opportunity right there. Okay, but listen, we can't, we can't, yeah, there was literally <laughs> a fucking revolution that overthrew the government. <laughs> it's not now, then when? <laughs> Listen, kids, we can't have democracy yet. We'll have some democracy for dessert. <laughs> Until then, we gotta have, you gotta do your fascism. Yeah, no, just a little bit more killing and then we'll get there. Yeah. Oh, like, boy. Um, and as we've pointed out, like, that's sort of the insidious thing. And the other thing to point out is, again, that in spite of the fact that there is eventually an overthrow of the state, our main protagonists almost exclusively are military personnel. Mm-hmm. There are no civilians who are crushed by the boot of the state mm-hmm. in our protagonist at all, except for Scar. <laughs> they did him so dirty. I'm so sad about it. Scar, boy, they did you dirty. Yeah, uh, and I guess just, like, the series as a whole, like, honestly, like, I bemoan, like, what it could have been. Because, like, you know, early on even, like, it could have, like, made a point about, like, the importance of like like counter resistance like revolutionary action and stuff but no it just it just constantly keeps defaulting back to like you know this this is great you know what we what works our system can be fixed and we can like fix it later it's like fine we, we this is fine and it's just yeah had so much potential everything's fine don't do a revolution guys i promise things are getting better soon mm-hmm. yeah yeah totally totally <laughs> Uh, trustworthy bionicle um Bion- neon sign oh have you not been like <laughs> no i followed the bionicle discord <laughs> listen we got shit to talk about um do we though i feel like we're nearing the end of yeah i think i think we're basically done that's yeah yeah um, that was Full Metal Alchemist. If you like the show, I promise I don't hate you. Yes, it is. I still love it. Just, just to clarify. <laughs> yeah, it's it is actually like one of my favorite shows ever. It's just deeply flawed. It's deeply flawed in a lot of ways that I think are really important to address and understand, lest they mm-hmm. create because this too forms a sort of like, you know soft propaganda and even if it's unintentional yes. like as we've talked about with like the liberal mind prison and like uh capitalist yeah. realism etc cetera, etc cetera, those two are still like 
forms of propaganda mm -hmm. that perpetuate themselves. And with kind of far-reaching opinion of Full Metal Alchemist as like really good depictions of, you know, like what it means to like atone for like imperialism or like showing imperialism in a bad light, which yes, yes it does. But like, like you said, that, that soft propaganda sort of, you know, echo through the series is... It's very individualist, it seems. Mm -hmm. So yeah, so critical thinking and reflection. You, yeehaw, yeah. Thank you. Critical thinking and reflection. We're gonna blow your minds with this critical weave theory. You know, well, I think we should stop doing a semiotics podcast and start doing an anime podcast. It feels like we would have so much more to talk about. <laughs> yeah, totally. <laughs> what a great idea. Well, um, Sri, if you want to introduce yourself one more time and maybe plug anything you're working on. Hello, I am Sri once again. Um, I guess, I mean, I, not, well, I can't really talk about some of it yet, but basically um, I have a creative account on Twitter. It is at Shriative um, or at S-R-I-A-T-I-V-E. It was an intentional pun on creative. I don't know if anyone got that. I hope you did. Um, and... <laughs> I'm gonna assume that you that was a no. Well, but okay, well, that's fine. <laughs> listen, okay. Stop <laughs> me. I hopefully, if I can actually get down to writing stuff for once, um, we'll have some stuff coming announced relatively soon, maybe there. But otherwise, it's also just a place to catch me if you ever want to chat or whatever. And yeah, cool. That's that's pretty much it. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Digital high five. Digital Ooh. high five. Good talk. Good talk. Good talk. Yeah. Wow, this was really fun. Mm hmm. <laughs>